Amen. That was lovely. Thank you, Becky. Our scripture reading for today is the entire book of Jude, all 25 verses. You can open your Bible and follow along with me. If you would like to, I will be reading the New American Standard Version. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. 
and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And amen. I don't know if you're a fan of the TV show, The Walking Dead, or if you're totally creeped out by the whole concept. You've seen the previews, and it's like, whoa, I won't be watching that show. But I'm kind of on both sides of the fence with this series, because my family wanted to watch it, so I said, okay, you know, let's watch it. And I watched a few episodes, and I got to the part point where it was just like, I can't watch one more zombie be annihilated. You know, it was just to that satiation point. I just couldn't watch it anymore, so I had to stop. So do we have any die-hard walking dead fans out here? Okay, I see a few. I see a few. Well, I'm glad you can, you can stay with it. Well, what I do, I have my family tell me what's going on, you know, so I can keep up with the characters. That way I don't have to watch the zombies. Uh, but there's another kind of walking dead I want to talk to you to you about today, and they really don't have much in common with the TV variety, uh, whereas in the show you can usually tell who the zombies or the walking dead are by the, the way they look, uh, the way they walk, uh, the way they smell, uh, but the walking dead that I want to talk about kind of look like us, and they mostly walk like us, and they more or less smell like we do. But this walking dead is some, these are the people that Jude felt called upon to tell his audience about. And first, let me tell you a little bit about Jude, since we read his whole book. Um, historically, he's been seen as a half-brother of Jesus. Uh, in verse 1, he claims to be a brother of James, and that would have been another half-brother of Jesus. And James was a leader in the church at Jerusalem. And possibly this is why Jude made reference to James, so as to show his legitimacy in the faith. And we know, you're thinking, how do we know who Jesus' brothers were? Well, they're actually listed in the scripture in the 13th chapter of Matthew, uh, that day when Jesus read the prophetic scripture in his uh, hometown of Nazareth. And one hearer in the synagogue that day said, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Jude, Judah, Judas are all translations of the Greek name Judas. So Paul also makes a reference to the brothers of Jesus in his one of his letters uh, and marks them as traveling evangelists. And it's in the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. In verses 4 and 5, he's writing about what are the rights of an apostle. And he says, do we not have the right to our food and drink? Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So we see from that scripture that the brothers of Jesus had come to faith and were spreading the gospel. So Jude probably wrote this letter in the decade of the 70s or the 80s, though some scholars, of course, have to disagree, and they date it into the second century. And Jude wasn't really writing about something new, 
when he admonished the hearers to contend for the faith because Paul had addressed the same thing previously in some of his letters. But obviously the apostasy of certain persons was heavy on Jude's heart. And he wanted to warn his audience about these individuals and their foreign spin on the gospel. He was calling them out. They were some of the wolves in sheep's clothing that Jesus had warned about. And Jude gives one description of them in verse 4. He says they are ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So let's figure out how they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. So first of all, we have to ask ourselves, what is the grace of God? That's something we throw around. Oh, the grace of God, the grace of What is the grace of God? Well, we can read one of Paul's explanations in the second chapter of his letter to Titus in verses 11 through 13. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So let's break it down. The grace of God, he said, brings salvation to all, instructs us to deny worldly desires, and instructs us now to live sensible, righteous, and godly lives. And the results are that we're on the alert for the return of Christ. And Jude says, these walking dead were perverting God's grace. Have you ever noticed how human beings can take something lovely and exquisite, and wonderful, and turn it into something tawdry, and mundane, and even unbearable. Even the Jewish leaders took the law that was beautiful and wonderful and added to it and added to it and added to it and made it so unbearable that people couldn't do it. And we have taken God's beautiful plan for procreation, and we have turned it into something unrecognizable. We have taken God's beautiful earth, his beautiful creation, and we have polluted its water, its soil, and its skies. And that's what Jude said certain persons were doing to God's grace. They were remaking it, so to speak, in their own image. They were turning it into an opportunity for licentiousness, or some versions say lasciviousness, and those are just big words that translate the Greek word aselgia. And that word contains a lot of ugliness. It can be translated lawlessness, immorality, wantonness, filth. And one commentator defined it as a gross form of wickedness, often with sexual overtones, perversion, a disregard for public decency. And it's possible that Jude was dealing with the beginnings of what became known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught that the body was evil, that all of matter was evil, all of the material part of creation was evil, and that only the spirit was good. And of course, this contradicts all of the creation accounts in the Bible because God created something and he saw that it was good. And it contradicted what Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 19 and 20. 
He said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Glorify God in your body. So because the Gnostics thought only the spirit was good, they said, it doesn't matter what you do with your body because it has nothing to do with the spirit. You could be as sinful, as promiscuous, as shameless, and as arrogant as you wanted to be, and it didn't matter because they said the body is evil anyway, so what does it matter if you do evil with your body? Only the spirit is good. And this flew in the face of the faith once delivered to the saints. These licentious men were creeping into congregations, and they were spreading this distorted gospel. And Jude, I love the colorful words that he used to describe them in verses 12 and 13. He called them hidden reefs, clouds without water, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, wandering stars. So this is what the church in Jude's time was up against. And Jude told his audience to contend earnestly for the faith. And in the Greek, the word translated contend is epergon ixomai. I was wondering if I'd be able to get that up. Which is a compound word including the preposition epi, which can mean things like upon or above, and it includes the word agonixomai, which means to strive, to fight, or to labor fervently. And it's where we get our English word agonize. So in effect, Jude was saying, agonize for the faith. Be in agony that people are distorting this faith. Now, my grandma would have translated it, fight like the Dickens. You know, that's the kind of translation she would have given us. But that's what Jude was saying. He wanted us to fight like the Dickens for this faith. So what faith are we fighting for? Are we fighting for the Baptist faith? Are we fighting for the Presbyterian faith, the Catholic faith? What does Jude say? He says, fight for the faith. Not your faith, not my faith. Fight for the faith or this faith some versions say. And it's something specific, or in the Greek, it wouldn't have the definite article in front of it. So he's talking about some specific faith that we're supposed to fight for. He said, the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. And in the message, it says, this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. It was given once. It hasn't changed It was entrusted to us to keep it intact. It's the same faith the apostles of Jesus had. It's the same faith that Christians were being martyred for and are being martyred for. It's the same faith that you and I claim today. It's the faith. And today we need to be on our guard just as much as the people in Jude's time did. Today not only do certain persons creep into our congregations, into our Sunday school classes, into our church groups. We also find them coming to our homes and minds via television and radios, laptops, smartphones. They're everywhere. So what's the answer to our dilemma? The writer of Hebrews wrote in verse 1 of chapter 2, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. 
So how do we fight? How do we contend for the faith? Jude told us here in verses 20 through 23. He said, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So we contend for the faith by being prepared, by being studied up, by praying for one another, by staying on the alert for the return of Jesus by going easy on doubters and actually going after those who have strayed too far and by taking sin seriously. That's how we fight for the faith. Malachi 3.18 says, You will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So we will know who the righteous are by knowing the word of God. We will know who is serving God and who isn't. I don't know if you remember a news story from last year. It was kind of obscure and far away. It happened in China. But evidently the authorities there seized more than 22 tons of fake beef. And when I read that I thought, what would fake beef look like? But obviously, they had taken pork, and they had treated it with chemicals and paraffin wax and tried to make it look like something edible. And um, it was like 22 tons. So we're talking about a semi-tractor trailer full of this fake beef. Of course, China doesn't have the USDA regulating So the people have to beware of what they're getting. And we can be pretty sure that our beef is is okay. But how do we ensure that what we ingest spiritually is wholesome fare? Let me give you four questions to ask yourself when you're exposed to what seems to be a new teaching. Number one, ask yourself, is this scriptural? And you won't know unless you are familiar with your Bible. Number two, ask yourself, is this orthodox? And orthodox only means that it follows traditional understanding of the text. It means it is accepted as true by most people. Uh, Not that we can't learn something new, but when we're talking about key doctrines of the faith, we have to pay attention to all of the gifted men and women throughout all of the centuries who have written about these key doctrines. The third question for discernment, is this teaching Christ-centered? The Bible is completely Christ-centered. Everything in it points to Christ. So the teaching should in some way or ways glorify Christ and his salvation. Number four, ask yourself, Does the teaching bring God's people closer together in Christ, or does it divide them into factions? We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are to strive for unity. 
And so you need to keep all of these things in mind when you're confronted by what appears to be a new teaching. Our world is full of fakes. We know that. That's just the way we live. We have cubic zirconia, we have faux fur, and we have pleather, whatever that's made of. So the fake is created because some of us can't or aren't willing to pay the cost for or not willing to purchase the real thing. And false teachers want the prestige, the influence, and the respect that true shepherds have, but they want it illegitimately, regardless of the cost to the flock. And God has given us everything we need in order to discern who the false teachers are. And he has given us armor to protect us in the fight. And Paul lists it in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. We have been given the truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we have been given the gift of prayer to use as armor as well. We do need to be on the lookout for the walking dead. We can let them come into our love feasts. We won't turn them away from our doors. But we do need to be discerning when false doctrine is offered for truth, when the beauty of the grace of God is turned into something prurient and ugly, when someone puts him or herself at the center of the message rather than making Christ Jesus the star of the show. So my friends, the old year is waning, and 2015 is calling us to hurry on over. So in the middle of all of your plans for the new year, think about taking Jude's advice and build yourself up in the faith. Study your Bible. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Take sin seriously and keep yourself in the love of God. Would you pray with me, please?